listening to By the Well, a lectionary-based podcast for preachers recorded on the land of the Wurundjeri people. Hello, everyone. I'm Fran Barber. And I'm Alistair McRae. Welcome, Alistair. Welcome back to By the Well. Thank you very much, Fran. Great to be here. And um, hi to fellow preachers. Indeed. So Alistair's, you will be a familiar voice to many of you. Alistair's been on By the Well before. Um, Alistair is a recently retired minister in the Uniting Church. So this week we are looking at the third Sunday after Epiphany. And in particular, Alistair and I are going to focus on Jonah 3, 1 to 5 and verse 10, though in reality probably the whole book of Jonah. And the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 14 to 20. So, a common theme between these two this week, do you think, Alistair, or are we forcing it? No, I don't think we're forcing it. I, I imagine this was in the lectionary composer's minds. Um, but there's a very strong theme of repentance in each of these. Obviously, in the Mark reading, uh, Jesus, you know, his first public call really mm. is to uh, is to repentance. Came preaching the good news and calling people to repent and to believe it. And Jonah is littered mm, with it's littered. repentance, dripping with it. It's dripping we'll, with repentance. We'll, we'll get to that detail yeah. shortly. Yeah. So we're in true Mark and style. This is great brevity in mm. this section, isn't there? Yeah. Yep. So we've met John the Baptist and heard that he is not greater than the one that comes, and so on. He's coming. Yep. Uh, the first fragment here is that he was after John was arrested. Yes. Um, so the the spectre of um, uh, well suffering and um, resistance or or conflict. Mm. Yeah, is there from the very beginning, and I did read somewhere, and because um, I'm now a bad Greek scholar, I used to be a good one. I forget the word, but the the Greek word for arrested, you can all go and look Paradothe. up. Oh, thanks. Yeah, okay, look at him. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, that, so in English, the it's a fairly poor translation as a re, of arrested. It's really overthrown. It's got a much more dramatic and violent overtone. Yeah. Uh, and used in terms of Jesus being handed over to death um, later in the gospel. Yep. So, um, again, in true Mark and style, there's this incredibly profound and somewhat hidden mm. but very, very deliberate uh, detail put in here. Yeah, um, the translation I read for that was given up, uh-huh. arrested as in given up, yeah. and um, Jesus later will be given up as a result of his preaching. He later warns his disciples that they also, uh, as a result of their proclamation of the kingdom, will be arrested, um, given up. And, um, yeah, preachers can reflect on when was the last time you are preaching <laughs> <laughs> um, opened up the possibility of you being uh, given, given up, up or yeah. arrested. Um, sadly, I can't really think of any time in no, my recent pre- preaching. You know, the job's done well if you've been arrested. <laughs> yeah. So, um, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Yes, and the word for time there, of course, is the kairos um, word rather than the chronos word, mm. which... Is is a much more heavily weighted word, and uh, 
different translations, but it's it's basically saying the time for decision. You know, this is a, a, a critical time, not just ordinary chronological time. Uh, and that's a word that, that uh, reappears at various points uh, in the gospel. And then uh, the next, the, the key word, I think, for today, um, where Jesus calls people to repent and believe in the good news. Um, and how, like, we would be true to say, wouldn't it, that we live in a world where, generally speaking, the word repent is incredibly foreign mm. and it is one that might embarrass some Christians as being... Um, really offensive yeah uh and we also live in a culture and we would be part of that where we're thinking well what have i like what have i got to repent (laughs) so it's quite a task to um unpack that and see that this god of love that everybody might popularly and flippantly know of their relationship with that god involves this sort of work yep yeah and i mean that could that could be very a very good sermon focus david bentley hart translates it as change your hearts Mm. which i like but i think the word does need to be recovered particularly the way jesus uses it Uh, when john the baptist uses it it's kind of surrounded by threat you brood of vipers yeah yeah whereas i don't know if this is oversimplifying it but um when jesus uses it it's it's much more positive um I remember the great German preacher Helmut Tillicker, Helmut Tillicker saying, whenever the word repentance is on Jesus' lips, joy is in the background. Mm. I love that. That really helped me well, and here, understand it. Yes, and here, believe in the good news. Yeah. I mean, that's the joy. Yep. To me, in it, the same breath. Yeah, and there's also the sense in the word of turning um, and turn towards... Um, the abundant life that God wills for us. Mm. So, yeah. And it's also, it's true though too that the good news that we have of Christ, the kingdom coming near in Christ, um, integral to it is that it throws shadows on the kingdoms and the world that we live mm. in. Yep. And um, I mean that's relating a bit to our flippant joke about being arrested for preaching, but, you know, yeah. this big yes of God actually involves a no yeah. Yeah. to many of the ways of the world. And I guess if we're looking for kind of secular equivalents, there is a strong call to repentance in terms of the way we use energy. Mm. Um, you know, we're told if we don't change our ways, then the world is heading towards catastrophic um Mm. you know a catastrophic situation so there are versions Mm. of of the call to repentance out there it's just the word isn't used but the call for radical change particularly in the environmental Mm. um area i think is quite common Mm. and truth telling yeah 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 so getting moving on to this the call here what is so striking to me and probably not just to me but these two men just immediately follow. Like there's no persuasion, there's no cajoling, there's no – I mean there's absolutely no real plan at all provided to these two fishermen yeah. and no 
Like you're going to an unknown destination on a route you're not clear about with someone... Who you don't know. Well, <laughs> presume they... I mean, maybe they... Either way, there's something very... that pins us to the wall. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not quite sure how to take that. Um, no. I mean, Mark loves this word immediately, doesn't he? Mm. But I think it... I did a count. Um, oh, did you? Not this time, but... No. I think in the first two chapters that word is used 11 times. So maybe Mark's um, gilding a lily a bit here with with the urgency of it all and there's no – because later Jesus will say, look, um, count the cost before you follow me. Mm. Well, there's no cost counting here, is there? They just, mm. they just up and leave. But um, I really like this passage uh, for a number of reasons. Um, you know, Jesus is out um, walking walking around the place um, and he comes to the first disciples' place of employment. Like he, he, he comes to them. He goes to the factory. Yeah, and kind of theologically and experientially. Um, that, that's a good emphasis, that, that Christ comes to us first mm. before, you know, we have to desperately search and find yeah. God um, mm. in Christ. He, he comes to, to mm. where we live and work mm. and calls us to be disciples there. Mm. And is that a joke to think, I'll make you fishers of people? Um, I don't know, it might be. <laughs> possibly. It's hard, hard to tell. But maybe it's just saying, look, you, you're good at fishing for fish. Yeah. Um, Let's use your gifts and capacities for a bigger work, which is um, catching people. Which leads to another th- theme that pins us to the wall, like repentance, which is evangelism and um, how our church in particular or your church listeners, wherever that may be, um, embraces and embodies that call. Because yeah. it's, not, it's not one in our tradition that's... Uh, embraced wholeheartedly like there's an apology there's a sort of um, yeah almost an embarrassment sometimes yeah i've heard someone i was reading called it was it missional vegetarians or something like but <laughs> with the um <laughs> with the fishing metaphor we don't really want to use bait right. like what is the bait that we're yeah you know um maybe yeah. that's our problem what, what what is the bait well um an invitation to, to life with God and participating in God's great mission of mission of love and justice. Um, mm. I've never quite understood our reticence about evangelism. Um, you know, if we if we see it as sharing that which is most precious and central to mm. us, it's not. It's not an imposition, um, but we've we've so privatised the faith in this culture and in in our church tradition. I think mm. you know it's kind of not quite our dirty little secret, but <laughs> it's something you know we, we we keep to ourselves. And and I I think that's a real it's a real shame. Yeah, well, I mean, I think built in it is is the judgment that whoever you know whoever one is speaking to um, hasn't found. The kingdom, and here it is. So yeah. it's all that sort of um, yeah. apology or 
uh, discomfort. But you're right. I mean, this is the message of the nearness of God, closer than God has ever been yeah. in our brother Jesus. Um, What's not to listen. like? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, th- I think uh, this is a really good passage for, for people in our church about um, uh, the call that we're, Christ comes to us, calls us to follow, um, uh, recognises our capacity and can put that to use mm. for God's work. Um, and part of the task is to share um, the good news that, that God loves us and has a role for us. Mm-hmm. And it also, I think, I mean, you know, that question sometimes we don't perhaps ask often enough and it's getting towards, I suppose, the, the area of testimony and witness. But mm. um, why do you keep coming back? What, what brings you to yeah. the church? What, 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 what is it a, that compels you to remain within this story? Yeah. And getting people to articulate that in the myriad ways they can. Yes. And quite a lot of churches, I'm sure yours and certainly mine, periodically we ask people in the congregation to give witness Mm. precisely to what is it about the gospel that compels you and has you here um, with the rest of God's community on a regular basis, nourishing that, that call. Albeit perhaps not as decisively and wholeheartedly as these two fisher people who no. just left absolutely everything. Yes, and in the first case, they leave their livelihoods, and in the second case, they, they leave their um, their family. Mm. So I mean, I'll make you fishers of people is both a a promise, and perhaps also getting back to the word. Handed over mm. at the beginning, a th- a th- not, well, if not a threat, then a, then a um, perhaps a portent of, of conflict or difficulty. Yep, yep, could could well be encounter with the world. Yeah. Are there last remarks you want to make about this one, or do you oh, think no. we're? Uh, is there something in boat? Um, oh. That they leave their boats um, in order to join the new boat. Oh yeah. Which is the church? Um, yeah, I don't know. You wonder, like Mark seems so simple. Yeah, it's not though. But it's, it's not. not at it's, all. You can yeah. just find phrases and words and think, "Oh, that's that's code for a whole lot of interesting stuff." Mm. I mean, here boat is familiar and livelihood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not sure. All right, hmm. shall we move on now to Jonah? Jonah, which Jonah three. Chapter 3, verses 1 to 5 and verse 10. Yes. So this is the only time in the three-year lectionary that we hear from Jonah. So I think if you can, people, in some way, tell the whole story Mm. um, in a way that's engaging for people, whether it's quite short chapters, four chapters, if you have four different voices in four different parts of the building... Mm. And maybe you could even use funny hats to depict different characters because it is a funny book. Um, so obviously we have specific verses set here. Um, 
the second call onto Jonah to go, having, you know, when he resisted the first one or two. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, telling the whole story. I, I think you could – I like the idea of taking a big chunk of time on a Sunday morning to read the whole, mm. the whole book. If you didn't do that, you would have to tell a condensed version, you know. Chapter 1 and 2 in – in dot points, read yeah. chapter three and then dot points yeah, for idea. the rest. You Compromise. could do it that way. Yeah, yeah. But I do think it needs to be preached mm. as well as told um, because there's real there's real layers to this one, which mm. we will discover yeah. in the next so, few minutes. Yeah, so it's, an, it's, an, it's not your typical prophetic book because it's about the prophet in particular, not, ne- not about his or her, his usually, speeches. Yeah. So um, – Mm. And it's uh, and the prophet's actually rebuffed and shown to be in very poor light, <laughs> and and actually as we've indicated, we've already um, alluded, there's hyperbole and satire here, so that none of the characters actually behave in a predictable way at all. Um, no, it's actually it's it, it's very comedic. Yeah, so you've got the king king who does actually humble himself, and yeah. you've got the sailors who repent. Well. It doesn't use the word repent, but they behave very much as if they totally understand yeah. what's going on and what their part in it. Um, and even, you know, the cows repent in the, the end, the animals. They do. Did you notice also <laughs> that um, in the little bit that's madding, maddeningly left out in the lectionary? Don't um, leave it out, though. No, read it, read it right so through. So those verses 6 to 9... Yeah about the king and the repenting animals and it's the public nature of the repentance already depicted there. Yeah. Sorry, I interrupted you. No, no, not at all. But did you notice in those omitted verses that even the animals wore sackcloth? No, I missed that. Just picture that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I just love it. So if you had any doubts about whether this was um, figurative or parabolic, yeah. It, yeah. it clearly is. Even St Augustine uh, regarded it as figurative. Mm. So... Any attempt to literalise the story is really doing damage to it. So I think it's Brueggemann who sees it obviously politically and theologically. So yeah. it's a book that's challenging Israelite theology about mm. how God operates and um, how they how they understand themselves and God and their enemies. And yeah. this is really challenging them to understand God's freedom to restore enemies. Yes. Um, and... Um, that's a hard word when you've thought it's all on my side. and Exactly. And I think this is where a little bit of um, uh, historical context is useful mm-hmm. and uh, really repays the effort. Um, for example, when was Jonah written? Now, the book that I've – my go-to book on Jonah and the um, post-exilic Prophets is Daniel Smith Christopher's A Biblical Theology of Exile. Okay, we'll put that a link to that in there. Yep, notes. great. But he, he argues that it's very late and it comes after the writings of Ezra and Nehemiah. Mm-hmm. Now, Ezra and Nehemiah, particularly Ezra, is really heavy on emphasising purity and... Uh, distinctiveness mm-hmm. of the people of God um, to the point where chillingly at one point uh, he 
he issues the order, or is it God in Ezra, um, says that everybody who's married foreign wives has to divorce them and send them away. Wow. Yeah. It's, today we'd call it ethnic cleansing. We would. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Smith Christopher argues, and quite compellingly for me, is that Jonah was written as a counter to oh. that extreme exclusivism yeah. and yeah. emphasis on purity uh, and to say, no, actually, um, the God who has a particular role for Israel loves all people. Right. And that would um, – I'm thinking of the end of the book, people, where if you need to reread if you haven't read it for a while. <laughs> most. So Jonah goes off in a huff and he sits in the desert and a tree – the God, God goes, oh, he's going to die of dehydration. What an idiot. I yep. better plant – I'll get a tree to grow up over him. But then God also – Besides a worm to eat the tree is a great idea. Yeah. Um, and then Jonah's going, oh, what the hell? Like, what are you doing? Um, and there's a conversation where basically God says, don't you think if I can make a tree grow this much and make it die, do you not think that I, ma- I worry much more about a group of people yeah. and their animals, incidentally? Well, he actually says um, Jonah's really um, – oh, what's a word I can use? Um, he's really angry at God. Yes. Um, for killing this plant mm. that Jonah has affection for because it's protecting him from the sun. Um, and he gets angry at God for killing the plant. And and then God says, look, you've got this beautiful sympathy for a plant. Mm. What about? What about all these people? Mm. So I can see Daniel Smith Christopher's argument, even in, I mean, it'll all through it, put, you know, yeah. but that's very yeah. clear. Yeah. It's yeah. very profound. Yeah, it really is. So, um, I mean, a benefit, obviously, of reading the whole thing is you get to see the question that God does ask: is your is your anger justified? Mm. Like, I think that's probably that phrase might even be in the the bit that the lectionary leaves out yes. for today. But our self righteous anger, yep, um, at what should be, yep, um, is really challenged by this story as well. Yeah. And it's interesting, right Right throughout, you get the sense that Jonah, when Jonah is commissioned with this message, he's, he's not committed to it because it's as if he's got this suspicion that if the people of Nineveh heed the warning, God, because God is so damn merciful, um, God will change God's mind. And, of course, that's... Exactly what happens. And in the end, when God relents, God repents. That's the other mm, interesting mm. repentance in this story. Um, Jonah's furious with God. Mm. Why don't why don't the boundaries of your love and mercy coincide with mine? Yeah, such a great question. And that <laughs> brings me back to that little fragment of verses that's missing from this reading because it's where the king, the king in it's actually in the character of the king mm. that you first see the possibility that God might change God's mind. Yeah. And um, in, in a brief link to the Corinthians, we haven't talked about the epistle, it's a couple of verses, but it's a peculiar passage, it appears at first sight, about marriage and mm. singleness and so on. But it's an eschatological conversation Paul's having about how we must live as if the kingdom is here. So don't be so hung up on your singleness or your marriedness or whatever. Yep. It's about and, – and in a sense the king here – is living as if God could change, yeah, and and that's what 
ends up happening. Yeah, and that's one of the lovely ironies. You know, the king of Nineveh, you know, the city, the, the great city of Sin, yeah, um, has an inkling that uh, that God could be merciful, yeah. much more than Jonah, Jonah the prophet of God. So, in my you know musing and googling about this passage, this book last week, I came across a fantastic um, YouTube. Addressed by Anna Carter Florence, mm-hmm. a theologian, minister and Great preacher. preacher in America. And she's writing this book, the uh, An Alphabet for Preachers. Now, it's, it's based on something else that doesn't matter now, but basically using the Hebrew and the New Testament uh, and the Greek alphabet. So she ends up with 52. Mm. And... Fifty-two essays, I suppose, and each one so so A, B, C, D. Well, Jonah, she said there's so many things starting with J. It's actually under F for fish, <laughs> but it's it's a the the point of it all is what this says particularly to preachers, and she talks about how um, whereas the fish we encounter in most other stories we catch them, here mm. is a fish that catches us mm. and keeps us. Uh, well clear of mediocrity because while we're saved from the depths of the ocean, we're in this slimy fish, fish gutsy, mm. no ma- nowhere like limbo. We don't know for how long, and we're spewed up on the on the beach, and we're saved, but we're put through the mill, and that's actually what mm. we do when we go through the process of prayerful consideration and sermon writing yeah. and delivery. But her focus is also on the use of verbs in this. So you know the ridiculous verbs for Jonah is he runs away and it's not we can't run away and it, the yeah. story plays out that you can't run away from God mm. or your task nowhere to hide but you know for the fish the verb is it's spewing and um, I forget what the other one is now but anyway it's a really um, entertaining I might put the link in the show notes because yeah, if you want a bit great. of a boost as a preacher and a bit of a laugh but have a really quite profound theological message yeah. It's fun. Yeah. Now that sounds great. Um, in terms of preaching, I think if I was preaching this, I'd, I'd talk about that tension between the kind of Ezra, Nehemiah mm. emphasis on purity mm. and this kind of tending more universalistic um, vision of Jonah um, I think in church like ours, we're much more comfortable with Jonah, Jonah's perspective, um, and we don't often pay enough attention to the tension. Um, Smith Christopher um, is is very helpful with this, and he he doesn't just bag Ezra. He says, "Look, the expelling of foreign wives is in, inhuman, you know, ter- terrible outcome." However, um, the church, the people of Israel and the church, uh, there is a particularity about our call. Um, and we are uncomfortable with the term purity, but what, what is it that we stand for that may at points be, put us at odds with uh, the wider culture? Mm. And how do, we, how do we protect that? Um, so this, this tension between particularity mm. um, and the universal is I think is one that we need to pay attention to well yeah well the world stage now is, yeah um, ripe for faithful compassionate prophetic com- comment yeah. in terms of how we're seeing the other yep um, yep 
and the the othering of the so-called of the enemy. Yes, it's just the fellow human being trying yep. to live their life. Yep, yep. Um, can I read a quote from Smith Christopher? You can, and then we might close. Okay. Good Our task is Jonah's sense of mission to the world, informed by Ezra's attentive eye to nonconformity, and embodying Tobit. That's another one of these mm. post-exilic prophets, embodying Tobit's compassion and wise practicality. Good time. Good. That's pretty good, isn't it? Comment to end on. Thank, yeah. Thanks for the conversation. Good on you, Fran. Thank you. By the Well is brought to you by Pilgrim Theological College and the Uniting Church in Australia. It's produced by Adrian Jackson. Thanks for listening. <laughs>